All right, so this is our third week in a series about a story that Jesus told. Luke chapter 10. Starting in verse 25, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? How do I go to heaven? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say and how do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live or you will experience life. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with the story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes. Now go and do the same. Um, it's easy for us to turn church into an event that we attend. And it's easy for us to turn the Christian life into, how can this answer the questions that I'm asking? How can this make my life better? How can it make me a better person? How can we make it kind of cool and complicated and focused on things that don't really bother me? That's really easy kind of human nature way of approaching this thing we call faith and this thing we call Christianity. Um, I have found emptiness in that approach to God and despair. And so instead, what I seek to do myself is to actually interact with who Jesus really is and just let him be him. Right? Just let Jesus be Jesus and truly trying to interact um, with Jesus in that respect. And so that's kind of my approach to this. And, and um, so we're talking about good neighbor. And this is part three of our talk. And, and we're looking at some of the essential ingredients for us as a church family, some of the phrases we use on a regular basis that we would pull from this because they're Jesus thoughts, not from humans, right? And so live like Jesus, share his love would be one of those thoughts. That'd be like an essential, a mission statement if you're looking for that sort of thing for this church. Um, yes, we want to be described as a safe place for people to find and follow Jesus. That's a good description for people that have not yet been exposed to it to kind of understand what we seek to be. But how that happens is for us as Jesus followers 
to live like Jesus and share his love. And what we are seeing in this story is that Jesus is saying, yeah, here's the two most important things in all of the holy text and all of the scripture. Love God with all you've got, all your passion, all your intellect, all your resources. Love God with all you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. And we get this racial, socialized, cynical question thrown into the mix, who is my neighbor? Jesus responds with this story. And just kind of lending some time with my imagination to this, I was struck by the realization that when God first said these words, and God said these words before they were even written down, and we find them in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and, and, and in the beginning of that chapter, when God spoke those words to Moses and said, Moses, tell the people this, this is how I want you to live, Jesus was there. Jesus was with God the Father. We get to Revelation in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is with God. And the Word was God. Jesus has been there. Jesus had a front row seat. And in fact, in the Old Testament, Jesus actually shows up on earth a few times before he was born in human form. Now you're getting crazy. But I was struck by the fact that here Jesus is explaining what God meant in those what he is calling the most important words in Scripture. Pastor Ben, why would you take four weeks on this story? Feels like you could explain it in five minutes. I'm so glad you asked. Jesus says it's important. Jesus says it's the most important thing. And Jesus, who was there, who heard God's tone of voice, who saw God's eyes, who knew God's intent, who there had already been a conversation when Adam and Eve were walking the earth, when Abraham, when all these other people had walked the earth prior to Moses, Jesus was in on the conversation, the inner dialogue, the theater sports world of you play that game Freeze where Actors are portraying a, a scene in improv, and then you say, freeze, and then you tell them to give us what's the inner monologue, what's your character really thinking, right? Jesus knew what God's inner monologue was. He knew what was on God's heart when God spoke those words. You should love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And when Jesus is questioned on what does that mean, there is no one we have ever heard from who is a more foremost expert than Jesus on what God meant. And when you think about it, Jesus could have told any story, any story. He could have told stories of high fives and pancakes. He could have told a story of a growing vine, of digging deep a well. He could have, he could have told any story to explain what God meant and how we should respond to the fact that this is the most important thing. Love God with all you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. He could have told, and this is the story that he told. So we walked through the fact that what we see in this story is compassion, courage, commitment, and cash and credit. These are elements that we see in the story that the Good Samaritan exercises as the hero in the story that Jesus tells as an example of how we should respond to that. And 
I think it's very important for us to remember that God has not asked us to help people without compassion. Very important for us to understand. Also, what we see that would have been very obvious to his listeners, which we explained last week, is that this would have taken courage. And and today's topic, commitment, is very much linked with that because of some things that you would obviously deduce, I don't have time to go back to, from last week's message, right? It took courage, but it also took commitment. Those things might seem interlinked, but I want to just unpack them a little bit for us today. And in part, what I want you to learn, what take away from this story, because Jesus flips the question. He answers the guy's question with a question. He said, who do you say was his neighbor? Not who is the neighbor I'm supposed to help, because that would have, Jesus flipped it on its head and said, who do you say his neighbor is? And what we would see is that the like a good neighbor person is somebody who saw a need and took action to meet it. So a phrase that I want us to get into our spirit in 2018, see a need and meet it. That would be a very simple way we can describe what Jesus was telling us in this story. See a need and meet it. You don't need permission from me. You don't need a title. You don't need funding. What has God put in your hand? What is the compassion that he has put in your heart? Who has he brought you into the path of? See a need and meet it. Are you with me? See a need and meet it. Love in action. And in particular, Jesus, using this agape love word, selfless love, sacrificial love, committed love. If you, if you read the stories in the scripture, God's kind of into this commitment thing. Now, I love being able to talk about this in this room because I'm in the room with a group of people that are good at this. So I'm not today bringing correction to anyone, but in trying to encourage your level of commitment. And because in particular today, what we have is primarily people that have called this their church home for a long time, people that have some maturity in this, people that have been seasoned in this, I've chosen a few other scriptures to encourage you and maybe to help us have a Jesus perspective on this issue today. Sound good? So, commitment. Dedicated to a cause or action, a strong, having a strong sense of intention and focus, working very hard to do something. What, tra- what uh, transforms promise into reality. We talked last week about how uh, this oil and wine was an ointment that they would mix with herbs that was uh, meant to bring healing. And that was significant. Well, it would have been time consuming. And he was taking on an action where he could have been, the, the bandits could have been hiding in the bushes to rob him, to beat him up, to make him their next victim. And, and what we see here in that he went, he saw the need, he went to the person, he mixed the ointment, he treated his wounds, he put bandages on, he put this Jew on his donkey, and, the, and a donkey in particular, because this is a mountainous path between Jerusalem and Jericho, Jesus chose a road that they would have been familiar with to set this story on. 
He took him to an inn where he took care of him overnight. It's interesting in the story. He didn't just show up at the inn, drop the guy off, and pay the innkeeper to take care of him. You see that? Now, I don't know about you, but I have, from camping or business trips and hotels or conferences and other things, I've slept in the same room with a variety of people in a variety of settings. Like, not to get weird, but... I don't know that I have met somebody who was beat up and not had a coherent conversation and then slept in the same room with them that night. But when Jesus goes to explain what God meant with this instruction, that's the story that he tells. Are you with me? That, that took a measure of commitment. Now, some of us watch some of the Winter Olympics, you know those things that people do that think differently than me. And, and one of the things, because so many athletes end up getting in trouble, it, that they started to promote with commercials instead is the parents, right? The parents got to be these amazing, committed people. They're getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning and taking them to practice all these years and bandaging their wounds and doing all these things like a fun example of commitment. And certainly, uh, Jesus also describes God as a good father. Um, and so we would kind of, God the father would be like the best winter athlete parent. A God kind of love is seeing a thing through until completion. Committed to follow through. Meeting, certainly meeting the need with compassion and courage. And I took this one, there's a lot of text here. I actually took this one for the Urban Dictionary, which I don't do too often. But I, I, liked, I liked how it was phrased. Commitment is the words that speak boldly of your intentions and the actions that speak louder than words. It is the making of time when there is none. Coming through time after time, year after year, commitment is the stuff character is made of. The power to change the face of things. It is the daily triumph of integrity over skepticism. I like that. That's good. It sounds like God, and that sounds like what we need in our lives and in our homes. It sounds like how God can use our homes to transform our neighborhoods. More on that later. It sounds like what Baltimore needs. Can, I'm going to turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, and I want to read verses 31 through 46. And I want to, today, like, we're all kind of on the same page. So I'm not going to unpack everything. I just want to read some scripture, some longer stretches of scripture to us today. And I want to allow you to listen to the Lord. Okay? This is Jesus talking. And he's preparing them for the end of the world. So still relevant. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit upon His glorious throne. This is Jesus talking about Himself. Like not an arrogant pro-athlete kind of, you know, third person, but yeah, He's preparing us for what it will look like when He will return. All the nations, and in the street Greek really, people of every ethnicity is what He's saying. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Jesus cares about our actions in response to his grace. And we take the whole counsel of everything that Jesus said about salvation in heaven, our actions do not get us into heaven, right? It's receiving by faith in his grace what he has done for us. That's what our salvation is based on. But after the point of us calling ourselves a Jesus follower, he clearly cares about our actions in response to his grace. And he was pretty explicit about what he said. It's tough for the wealthy to get into heaven. And I want you to go serve those who have the least. Well, hey, here's really good news. In Baltimore, we've got zip codes on either side of us here where the percentage of people who live in extreme poverty which is where the total family income is half or less of the poverty level. The percentage of people that live in extreme poverty is double what it is in most of the United States. You live in what we might call a target-rich environment. We have people all around us that are in the least of these. This is good news. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hebrews, I'm just going to lift a couple of verses from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, talking about faith, defining faith, talking about the heroes of faith from the Old Testament and talking about how they saw some of the promises fulfilled, but not all of them. And I think this is an important and relevant passage to our topic today. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, 
since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. How? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. What's being said is that this life of faith will not be easy. And yet God wants us to throw off selfishness and sin and bad habits. He wants us to throw those things off and he wants us to run with endurance. Man, I hate that word. <laughs> My dad so desperately wanted me to become an athlete and so, because he was an athlete and he wasn't abusive about it or anything, but he even took me to a track coach and a speed camp and other things, and through all of that, I learned how to run the 400 and the 800. Man, I hated the 800, because you have to run with endurance, and I was no good. I didn't have his natural gifts. And yet, for all of us believers, we are called to run this journey of faith in our life for however many years we have on this earth, to run with endurance. How? By keeping our eyes on Jesus. And this is the, the, the passage from which we get the Alpha and Omega, meaning Jesus, the one who started faith in your heart and who is yet bringing it to completion, meaning keep your eyes on Jesus who is helping you grow up in the faith, who we have as a good example because he didn't stop short when it came time to submit to the will of the Father and to go to the cross, when things got tough, he didn't give up on us. He didn't think about himself and what he wanted. But he said, no, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Even when he also prayed, oh, would you take this cup of suffering from me? Jesus, our example of running with endurance. Now, I know that there are some of us in the room that need refreshing from a life of commitment, in particular to helping people that are the least of these. And, and to that end, I want to read to you Romans chapter 12, the, but the paraphrase from Eugene Peterson, because I think this is also relevant and the Holy Spirit can encourage our hearts with this. Everybody okay? Yeah. All right. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be cha changed from the inside out readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me 
and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. In this way, we are like the various parts of the human body, each part getting its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts of in Christ's body, let us go ahead and be what we are made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. If you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help, don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with the disadvantaged, don't let yourselves get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run from dear, for, for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies, no cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, God says. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. For those of us living in Baltimore City with our sleeves rolled up, I don't know that there's a whole lot of scripture more relevant than this. Are you with me? Isn't God good? He placed us here on purpose. There is nothing too hard for God. Nothing. Nothing too hard for God. God didn't ask you to take on the problems that you are overwhelmed by by yourself. In fact, he didn't ask you to fix them on the whole. He just asked you to do your part with courage, with compassion. 
and with commitment. Because what does matter to Jesus, we see in this story, is that we would let our yes be yes. It may not have been a more important time in our city's history for Christians to be people who don't overpromise and underdeliver. It's time for us to be real and honest. Let us not pretend that we are something we are not. But let's be authentically who we are. I have found in serving people in the middle of dark and difficult places that they appreciate when I just say, I don't know. In fact, they prefer that I come in being honest about what I know and what I don't know instead of trying to pretend I've got all the answers. That was for free. (laughs) All right. How do we grow in our level of commitment? Everyone in this room has a level of commitment, but how, how can we grow? Serve out of this love God with all you've got and love your neighbor by keeping your eyes on Jesus. It is so very important that we don't take this one aspect of the story and try to do it out of the context that Jesus has placed it in. Nothing about serving God or trying to do good should be taken out of the context of a personal relationship with God. Jesus said, out of this context, which if you love God with all you've got, there should be joy up on the inside of you where you can live out of a thank you. So out of your thank you, and and in particular, what we get is this, Jesus does not say love your neighbor as yourself with a human kind of love word, but instead with the God kind of love word. And so what that means is not out of your love, out of your own strength, that's always going to be exhausting. It's always going to burn you out and leave you hopeless. But instead, if you will love others with God's love, say, God, will you please give me your love for this person? Because I ain't got it. Are you with me? Second, how do we grow in our commitment? Confess where you've lacked it ask for forgiveness, and receive it. We need to get quicker at this. When you recognize wrong in the inside of you, just confess it. Be honest. Ask for God's forgiveness and ask God's for help to change you. It works if you work it. So work it. You're worth it. How do I grow in my level of commitment? Three, ask God to help with your perspective and your character. God, will you please help me to see other people and see opportunities and situations in the way that you see them? What we need is for God to help us see the invisible, believe the impossible, and overcome the obstacles. I hear God speaking that to us. God, will you help my perspective and will you help my character? Because like, you know, right right now I'm done with these cold temperatures. I'm done. And you know, sometimes I get done with people. Well, that's not the heart of God, is it? And so when that happens, what do I do? I got to be honest. I got to confess it, ask for forgiveness, ask for help, ask for God to help me see them the way that he does and ask God to give me his love for them. You can do this. Number four, see a need and meet it out of compassion with courage. That's how we can grow in our level of commitment. Just get to it. Get going. See the need and meet it out of compassion with courage. Number five, take action in teams whenever possible. 
You see a need that goes beyond just this moment um, context of this story that Jesus gave us. You see a need that's repeated. Ask, hey, communicate it with other people. Hey, I'm seeing this. I'm not really sure I've got all the answers, but I think God wants to do something about this. Will you help me? Let's join together and do something in teams whenever possible. That was really good. Number six, how do I grow in commitment? Give other believers permission to ask you how you're doing with it. Let me tell you something. I, I, listen, I'm human. I've got weaknesses. I, I have bad days. I, you know, I, plenty of perspective that still needs some maturity, some grown up, some help, right? I'm, I'm not perfect. But if you knew me a decade ago, <laughs> it's better now, all right? The way that it's better now is that I gave half a dozen men permission to ask me any question to speak anything into my life. I selected carefully people that were more mature than me, people that were faithful, people who got me, people who I couldn't lie to because they could see right through me, and I was a really good liar, all right? I gave them permission to ask me specific questions. To this day, I have other men that have all my passwords for all my stuff, my bank account, my calendar, my email, my everything. Why? Why not? Why not? You need to know that you've got a pastor and elders that live in accountability. It's a thing called mutual submission. It's a Jesus idea that turned the ancient world upside down. It's life-giving. There's freedom in it, and there's support in it. And then someone else can say, you know what? A year ago, you would have responded to that a whole lot worse. You've really been growing up. Oh, cool. I would have never thought that. Okay, I'll just move on. Number seven, ask the person that you are serving if the need has been met before you call it good. Woo. Now, that's some wisdom right there, but we need to move on. Mother Teresa. She started serving other people when she was 18 years old. That is in part because when she was only eight years old, her father died suddenly. Her mother was a devoted Jesus follower and compassionate. Her mother often invited people in need to eat with them. My child, never eat a single mouthful unless you are sharing it with others. Her mother counseled her daughter. When Mother Teresa asked her mother who the people eating with them were, her mother, this is before she was called Mother Teresa and her, she was called little Agnes. Her mother unif uniformly responded, some of them are our relations, but all of them are our people. That's what Jesus was talking about. Mother Teresa taught in a girls' high school in India for 17 years and then received permission to focus on serving the poor. She was called the saint of the gutters because she lived to serve the sick and the poorest of the poor in the slums of Calcutta. She had no more specific goal than to help the, quote, unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. That was her life mission. She established a hospice. She established facilities for the blind and aged and those with special needs and those with leprosy. She established uh, treatment centers for people suffering leprosy. The Pope spoke of Mother Teresa's life of service and homily when she uh, passed away. He said this, Mother Teresa in all aspects of her life was a generous dispenser of divine mercy, making herself available for everyone through her welcome and defense of human life. Those unborn and those abandoned and those discarded, he said. She bowed down before those who were spent, left to die on the side of the road, seeing them 
uh, seeing in them their God-given dignity. She made her voice heard before the powers of this world so that they might recognize their guilt for the crime of poverty they created. He also told uh, the faithful to follow her example and practice compassion. He said this, mercy was the salt which gave flavor to her work. It was the light which shone in the darkness of the many who no longer had tears to shed for their poverty and suffering. He said, adding, may she be your model of holiness. Summing up her own life in characteristically self-effacing fashion, Mother Teresa said, by blood, I'm Albanian. By citizenship, an Indian. By faith, I'm a Catholic nun. As to my calling, I belong to the world. As to my heart, I belong entirely to the heart of Jesus. Let's stand and close in prayer. God, I thank you so very much that you've called us to this life to love you with all we've got and to love others in the same way we take care of ourselves. And God, I know that there are people in this room that have served faithfully following this model and we need refreshing, we need healing, we need forgiveness. And Lord, I just ask that you would come here now, hear us as we confess where we've been wrong. Forgive us. And would you come and bring strength to us? Would you come and shine your light into our hearts that we might again know the joy of our salvation as though it were the first day? Would you lift us by your spirit? Would you strengthen us? Would you help us to see a need and meet it? Would you help us to see others the way that you do? Would you help us, Lord, to be moved with your compassion, love them with your love, to step out in courage and with commitment to serve them until the need is meted? Met. I thank you, God, that you've given us this opportunity and for your great blessing 